reasoning animals understand instinctively. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a seat. Can I do, I want to do a quick poll before I forget, before I begin. How many of you thought that the text that we just read was very strange? Okay, I, th- I think it's very strange too. And I think it's so strange. There's things in verse, we read three verses. Verse 8, the strange, and many of us may not understand at first sight. Verse 9, definitely things that we don't understand at first sight. And verse 10, things that we don't understand at first sight. And I think it would be helpful, this is not normally the way that we preach at Trinity, uh, but I think it would be helpful for us to go verse by verse through this, to try to gain an understanding, kind of summarize it, and then ask the question, what is the root problem being addressed there? Okay? Are you all on board with me? You can say, we're Presbyterians, you can say amen and yes. Like, that's, when you become a Presbyterian, one of your vows is not, and I promise never to say amen again. Okay? All right. So, let's take a look at verse 8, and we'll read it. Yet, in like manner, these people also. Now, remember, these were people who were in the church. They were doing uh, not good things. They were having these love feasts. Um, They were very immoral. So, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. You see that the way that the text is set up relying on their dreams, then they do these three things. They defile the flesh, they reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So, so what does it mean that they're relying on their dreams? And this relying is kind of like the way that uh, the word that's used is kind of like a lean-to, how it leans up against something very sturdy. They're leaning on their dreams. What does that mean? What kind of dreams are they having? Well, it seems to be that they're, they're having this very immoral behavior, and they're having these dreams as well, whether well, actually having them or just saying that they're having them. These people are saying, look, our lifestyle is totally fine because I had a dream, and in that dream, God told me that the way that I'm living is fine and that the way that I'm living is good. So these people are using their dreams as justification for their lifestyle because they're saying it is from God, that God has revealed to me that this is okay. So what does that, does that sound odd to you? Yeah, it sounds odd to me. But here's here's a funny thing. We kind of hear that language all the time, right? Well, I, you know, I got a word from the Lord. Well, maybe I did. Or maybe it was the taco that I ate for lunch. You see, when we're talking about issues of authority, they're leaning on their dreams to show that they're, they're authoritative, right? Well, there can only be one authority. Take a look at what we just confessed our faith together on page 9. The second question was, what rule has 
has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? Look, that's saying, how do we know and love God? And that's the Word of God is the only rule. That's the authority for how we understand the Christian life. That's the authority for how we understand God. It's not our dreams. And surely God does give miraculous dreams to people, but it's not Scripture. All things are subservient to Scripture. And so these people were relying on their dreams to first defile the flesh. They were having these love feasts where this ungodly activity was going on, where they reject authority. Look closely. It doesn't say reject authorities, but just simply authority. So they're rejecting, literally it's lordship. They're rejecting the lordship of Jesus because they're unwilling to come under Jesus's rules and submit. And they're saying, no, we want to have our own thing and we want to justify it by our dreams. And so there's no way that we're coming under Jesus's lordship. And then third, it blasphemes the glorious ones. They blaspheme the glorious ones. What in the world does that mean? And so if you look at the commentaries on this, uh, they're really kind of divided. They think, it's, it, they think it means one of two things. Either these ungodly influencers were blaspheming demons, or the ungodly influencers were blaspheming good angels. So why, why might it be demons? Because if you look in verse 9, in the verse that follows, Michael, the archangel, encounters the devil and they are disputing over the body of Moses, and that's weird. We're going to get to that. But look, even Michael, the archangel, and it seems that Michael, Michael's the only archangel listed in Scripture. So he's kind of at, he's always in God's presence and doing amazing things. Even Michael didn't dare utter a word against Satan. So the commentaries, some of the commentaries say, look, the glorious ones being spoken of here are the bad angels because it goes right in line with verse 9. Does that make sense? However, I don't think that's it. I think these are good angels, and a number of commentaries agree on this, and I, I want to show you something. Look at these three verses. They're going to appear on the Acts 7.53, you who received the law is delivered by angels and did not keep it. And in Galatians 3.19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And then Hebrews 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how, will we sh how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The Mosaic law was put in place through angels. Angels delivered, for lack of a better word, the law to God's people. And for about 1,400 years in between Moses and Jesus, they lived under God's law, under that covenant that God had made with Moses. And when Jesus came, what he did was he fulfilled that law. Everything that that law told us to do and told us to be, Jesus was it. 
And so it's not as if the Old Testament law just went away. It was finally fulfilled in one person. And so you have something like in the book of Acts where, you know, a blanket full of, uh, of food that the Jews couldn't eat is dropped in front of Peter. Peter says, oh, I can't eat unclean food. And, and Jesus tells him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Because Jesus has already fulfilled the Old Testament law. Now, why in the world would these ungodly influencers, why would they be slandering angels? On the surface, it makes no sense, right? Because you and I, I've never heard anyone go, oh, darn that archangel Michael. You would, you would have me checked into a mental institution if I walked around saying that. The reason that they're blaspheming the angels because in their desire for complete freedom, these ungodly influencers refused the authority of anyone or anything connected with God's law. They rejected the law. They rejected its practices. Angels are heavily associated with the law, so reject them. They wanted complete and utter autonomy and so they had to throw away anything that was connected with the law. And so they were blaspheming, speaking against God's angels, because it was the angels that brought the law. And look at all of the restrictions that the law brought. But Christ made us free, they're saying. Therefore, we should be free of anything. Jude gives a positive example in verse 9. So verse 8 kind of gives them a bad example, but we look at verse 9, we get a positive one. He says, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, I want to give you, this is, verse 9 is actually a really great example of why it's so important that we know our Old Testaments. How was the, does any, I mean, you guys, some of you know, like how was the body of Moses was buried. So can you put that up there, please? From Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 and 6. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. That's the only thing the Old Testament says about Moses' burial. Jude says a lot more, right? There's nothing in Deuteronomy about the archangel Michael disputing with the devil over Moses' body. So where did it come from? What we can best deduce, the church, or early church fathers actually quoted quite a bit from this work called The Assumption of Moses. So the Assumption of Moses, apparently at this time, was pretty widely read, as were lots of other extra-biblical books, right? So there were lots of other extra-biblical books. Just like in our corpus here, um, we have the Bible, but some other books that many of you have read, something like Knowing God, you know, very famous books, or Desiring God, kind of around that realm. Well, Jude is quoting from the Assumption of Moses, and other, other New Testament authors quote 
from non-biblical sources. The Apostle Paul does it three times, I believe, but he's doing so just to make a point. So, the Lord buries Moses. What does this mean then? Why would Jude employ an example? And surely he employed it because the people knew it, right? So, why would he do something like this? Well, take a look in your bulletin back at the passage that Harrison read on page 5. Verse 1, it says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. That's what Satan does. That's, that's what his name is, the accuser. We could say, even look at the book of Job, and Satan is accusing Job. That God, if you take away all of Job's stuff, he's going to curse you. He's accusing Job. Here, he's accusing Joshua the high priest. And in Jude, he's accusing Moses. Now, why would Michael and the devil be disputing about Moses' body? That seems strange, yes? For four years in high school, I worked at a funeral home. I know that's a strange high school job, but it paid really well. <laughs> so I've probably seen hundreds of funerals in my life. Um, not once have I ever seen this happen. Just the devil and the archangel dispute over body. So why would they do that? I think most commentators agree, and it makes sense in context of the devil disputing over other people in the Bible, the devil contested Moses' uh, right to an honorable burial. So you remember the life of Moses. Moses killed an Egyptian, and then he fled into the wilderness. And Satan sees this sin, this obvious sin. Of course, Satan can't see into the heart, but he sees Moses' obvious sin. And on the day that Moses dies, Satan shows up and says, this one died a sinner. He does not have a right to an honorable burial. And Michael, the archangel, knowing how to handle things because his authority is God's, says, look, you're not the one who judges. It's not me who judge. The Lord judges. The Lord rebuke you. And so Satan loses in this case. But Michael, unlike the people in verse 8, Michael didn't utter a blasphemous judgment against Satan himself. This isn't even another, like a bad angel, a demon. It's not a person. It was Satan. And Michael still said, it's not me who rebuke you, the Lord rebuke you. And he said that because he knows God's will. And if you're holding a Bible, you know God's will because in your hands is God's will. So, does this make sense? Does verse 9 make sense now? No? Okay, great. Well, we're still going to move on, unless, <laughs> unless you guys want to stay till this afternoon. So, they were arguing, and then take a look at verse 10. So, he, t he gives a positive example in verse 9, now turns back to talk about these ungodly influencers. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, 
and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So we saw that these people earlier, they're blaspheming the law, they're blaspheming angels, it seems, there's a subtext here, that they're blaspheming those Christians who will not join in their love feasts. And so this is just simply showing how understanding, how they don't have any understanding about it. I mean, if you just read God's Word, you see it's not a good idea to blaspheme angels, not a good idea to blaspheme the law, even though Jesus has fulfilled it, not a good idea to blaspheme other Christians right? There's all sorts of weirdness going on from these people. And so, Jude compares them to unreasoning animals. Eventually, they'll be destroyed. They're doing these things that are by instinct. You know, this is, I think it's very important for us to see this, brothers and sisters. Um, Our sinful natures should not be trusted, right? Our sinful nature should not be trusted. There's a common, you know, the common sayings like follow your heart. You know, follow, follow your heart wherever it leads you. Uh, well, uh, I mean, my heart is sinful. That's what the Bible says. And if it's sinful and I follow my heart, well, even though I am in Christ, it can either lead me, lead me down a good path or down a bad path. So don't trust myself. Don't trust me. Just like in that same way, when we come to something like this, man, these guys trusted themselves. They relied on their dreams. And look at where they are. This didn't start out as a big program, right? What's going on in Jude? It happened one day when a guy woke up, had a dream, of uncertain nature, and then it snowballed into the point that Jude, he wants to write a letter to these people commending them and talking about their common faith, but he says, I found it necessary to write to you to contest for the faith, because this snowball is out of control. And it all started because someone, they just trusted their sinful nature. That's how it got there. So, I'm trying to find where I'm at. There we go. So physically, like they became immoral. Intellectually, they became arrogant. They didn't know what they were talking about. And then spiritually, they just, they simply denied Jesus. They were doing whatever, but they, in their practice, in their words, they were denying Jesus. So let's give a summary of what this is. I'm going to try to summarize Jude 8 through 10. These ungodly influencers have brought debauchery to the church. They say that their dreams are from God and that their dreams tell them that these debaucherous activities are okay and should be promoted. They reject what God's law says about their sin. They even speak against the angels because God's law was put in place through the angels. And the chief good angel, Michael, didn't even dare to speak against the chief bad angel, Satan. So these ungodly influencers are actually speaking against God and his word, and thus are bringing destruction upon themselves. 
So that's the summary of what Jude 8 to 10 teaches. And it shows us the root problem. And we began by talking about it. The root problem here was they were relying on the wrong authority. They were relying on the wrong authority. They were relying on their dreams or whatever their sinful hearts were desiring. Kiddos, kiddos, who should we rely on? Who should we rely on? Say it out loud. Jesus, our parents. Jesus, I was trying to give you a softball. Hold on, hold on. Let's do it again. Kids, who should we be relying on? Yeah. Adults, how do we rely on Jesus? We know his will for us in Scripture. It is very easy. Like I said earlier, you get away a little bit. It's not, it's, it's not that hard to snowball. And you realize, oh my goodness, where have I gone? So the, the root authority, or the root of the issue in Jude is authority. Under whose authority? So let me ask you, what does this have to do with us? You're not having love feasts. You are not, at least in my presence, blaspheming the angels, right? It's hard to see ourselves in Jude in this particular area. However, you and I struggle with their root problem very much, right? Under whose authority do we attempt to live? Whose authority do we listen to? You know, most common, it's going to be our own, right? You say, okay, I know what God's Word says about that, but I'm just going to do the opposite. You know, in any individual decision where God's Word is clear on the issue, where it's black and white, you say, no, I'm just not going to do it. So, sometimes, and you know, in this season, I've seen people's authority actually switch maybe from their personal preferences to a political idea. Quite frankly, this is one of the reasons I hate Facebook because it's caused me to lose friends, because my friends have posted things online that they would never say to a person directly, right? It seems like in this political climate, we, some Republicans and some Democrats, whatever you are, you'll submit to whatever the party line is, no matter what it is. If you're a Democrat, you're always submitting to the Democratic Party line. That is your authority, or Republican, the Republican Party line, which is who knows how many different lines, right? Oftentimes, we put our political ideas as our authority over Scripture. That we're a Republican or Democrat first, and a Christian second. I want, to, I want us to be careful not to go there. You know, some of, some of us as an authority, like our, our extended family, some of our extended families have maybe more power in our lives than Jesus does. And we listen to them a lot more than we listen to Jesus. And that's a dangerous place too. Or some of us, and I find this in myself, because I was before I am what I am now, before I was what I was, I was an engineer. And so I love science and math. I read, I read uh, articles about space physics and things like that, just things that bring joy to my heart and that could put you to sleep, I'm sure. Like science, math, some of us that are wired that way, like we see in that a possible authority, but it's important to, to put ourselves under the authority of Scripture first. 
and then science. I mean, science works. This is why we've, you know, I can speak at a normal voice and you can hear it and it's loud and we've got bells and lights. Electricity is amazing. But God says, listen to me first. Your extended family may be amazing, but God says, listen to me first. And it's a dangerous thing. I want you to see that and come away with this. It's a dangerous thing to live under an authority that is not Jesus. It may seem like freedom, but it's actually destruction. It may seem like freedom living under another authority, but it's actually destruction. The people in Jude see this. And I want to share with you, just to close, a story uh, from Paul Harvey, old radio voice. Some of you know Paul Harvey. Some of you have no idea who he is. And this morning, I'm encouraging you to know Paul Harvey. He asks the question, do you know how Eskimos hunt wolves? Do you know how Eskimos hunt wolves? They take a blade and they sharpen it to a razor's edge, both sides, and then they put a handle on it. And that's the end of the story. No, no. <laughs> and they put a handle on it. And Eskimos, of course, they live in the cold. So they take the knife outside, razor sharp both sides, and they take an animal they've just killed, and they drip its blood on the blade. So one drop on the blade, it waits for, the, for that drop to freeze. Drop another on the blade, that drop freezes another. Until, after this long process, the entire knife is coated with frozen blood. It's a blood sickle, is what it is. So then they take the knives, and they go out into the field, and they bury the handle in the ground. And they go inside. The wolves come out at night, and they smell it, and they come over, and they begin licking it, because it's a wolf's favorite treat, the bloodsickle. And they begin tasting the blood and become enraged at how this blood tastes until they don't even realize that they are cutting themselves, and then they bleed out. That's how Eskimos kill wolves. It is a great picture of our sin. What started in Jude, just maybe one small thing, not relying on our own authority, or not, not relying on Jesus' authority, but going outside of that camp, and it snowballs, and it snowballs until before you know, we were actually destroyed. But Jesus protects us from that. When we sit under his authority, and you know what? His authority covers the heavens and the earth. Your men, you cannot lose a hair unless Jesus says, it's okay. So for those of us who are balding, Jesus knows how many hairs are still there. And he knows when we'll go completely bald. And you know what? He has the power to hold the entire world together. He holds the strong forces and the weak forces together. He makes gravity stay. And if you are in him, he loves you and protects you. And as the Heidelberg Catechism says, 
everything must be subservient to your salvation. His authority is not a burden upon us. His law is not a burden upon us. It is complete freedom because of who he is. Let's pray. And Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the strangeness of Jude. I thank you that he wrote it. I thank you that the Spirit inspired it. And that we can learn a lot from it. Father, we ask that you would be at work in us to consciously and unconsciously put ourselves under Jesus' authority and to rejoice in that because he is good. We pray that in his name. Amen.